Over the last two decades, I've been on a quest to learn everything I can about leadership, obsessed with what makes the best leaders so good. After running companies small and large for the last 20 years, today I speak on stages all across the world to audiences who are interested in that same question. My name's John Laredo, and I'm your host. I invite you to join me on this journey as we explore this topic, what makes the best leaders so good. Welcome to Tomorrow's Leader. All right, welcome to today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader, where we dive deep on all things leader-related, related to leading yourself and leading others. I am John Laredo, your host with the mostest. So uh, I'm, I'm going to start with a story. I, I'm sure in some part of one podcast, I've maybe early on shared this story, but it's very possible I didn't. I was just doing a keynote recently in Scottsdale, and I told this story, and it just it's one of my favorite examples of trust. And I got the great opportunity one time to hear from a Blue Angel pilot. I got a chance to meet him. Uh, Blue Angels, if you don't know, uh, they are the um, the Navy's uh, uh, acrobatic uh, fighter jets that fly in formation and do air shows and everything like that. Absolutely phenomenal. And it's interesting because the Navy's purpose for the Blue Angels it's awesome. You are awestruck watching these these planes fly in such tight formation. But the purpose of it is to recruit to the Navy. Literally, that's the purpose of the Blue Angels. But um, the each Blue Angel pilot gets two years, I think it is, that they have to perform, and then they have to rotate seats and everything like that. But it's fascinating when you watch the Blue Angels and you hear the behind the scenes for how they actually prepare to do these incredible formations. Now, they're going 500 miles an hour and they are in such tight formation. It is amazing how they do it. Well, here's what they do. They, they basically prepare by sitting in a, um, in a room uh, and they are sitting in seats and they're arranged in their formation. So the lead pilot is in the front and the others are back. And what they do is they basically visualize their routine. Uh, they close their eyes. They go through it. The lead pilot is going through and announcing the commands. Okay, we're going to roll left in three, two, one. And they're they're moving their bodies around and everything. And they're doing the entire uh, routine in their minds and talking through it and everything like that. And then they go up and they actually perform. But what's interesting is when they are executing this, the they're, again, flying 500 miles an hour, roughly. The only pilot that's looking straight ahead is the lead pilot. Every other pilot is flying 500 miles an hour straight, but looking at the wing of the pilot to his left or his right. And all they're trying to do is stay within 18 inches, 18 inches of their wing, not 18 feet, 18 inches of their, their wing. Think about that. And not only just flying straight, it's hard enough to do that flying straight, but then doing all these crazy extreme maneuvers and keeping it even within those maneuvers within 18 inches. Unbelievable. I've got the utmost respect and admiration for these pilots because what an unbelievable level of performance. Now think about this. There's a couple different lessons in this. One is the preparation that goes into performing at such a high level is intense. It is unbelievably intense. Now, in their situation, it is life or death. Uh, 
because if they don't execute perfectly, it's not that the show looks flawed. It's that a pilot could die or people on the ground or both. So the need for perfection is so severe and extreme. And what a couple of things that happen that's really amazing. One is think about the trust level that they have in the other pilots to be able to do that. I mean, think about driving a car 60, 70 miles an hour in this direction and relying only on the car to your right and and watching where they are and that's how your steering is just relative to them. Think about that would be incredibly uncomfortable. That would be very unnerving. These pilots are going 500 miles an hour. There's no room for mistake. So the amount of trust they have to have is unbelievable. And if they don't have that trust, what happens? I mean, think about that for a second. If they don't have that level of trust, not only are they not looking at this wing, if they glance, not look, if they glance straight ahead, they are they run the risk of crashing, bumping wings. If that happens, people die. It's not that they don't execute their mission the right way or they don't look good. People die. That's how much trust how important trust is in this because they cannot execute this at all without the highest level of trust, which is in, in, is putting my life into somebody else's hands. Think about that. But we think about how this actually happens. One of the things, and when you're thinking about your organization, how do I get that level of trust? And why does that level of trust allow such high levels of performance. Well, let me tackle the first one first. How do you do that? One of the things that they breed is this environment of accountability and ownership and absolute transparency and no consequences if we are for being transparent and open and honest about a mistake that was made. So in other words, this pilot was explaining, he said, I was on a training mission and my eyes stuck too long. We were going underneath the Golden Gate Bridge, which was incredible, upside down inverted. And he said, which think about that, upside down inverted underneath the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Wow. Uh, he said, my eyes fixated just for a fraction of a second too long on this really beautiful sailboat that was in the water. He said, but what I realized is that could have killed somebody just a fraction of a second going 500 miles an hour inverted under the san francisco golden gate bridge very understandable so nobody would have known that because nothing happened of course but their culture and their reason for such high levels of trust comes from the fact that at the end of that mission he got the group together and he said listen i need to own up to something here's what i did this was a big mistake it could have cost our lives, and here's what I'm going to do to make sure that doesn't happen again. I'm aware of it. It was a problem, and uh, I my, my fault took complete ownership to it and was willing to put it out there on the table. That's what they do, and that helps breed this ultra-high level of trust. So think about this. If you and your organization can breed that type of environment where not only is that expected, Maybe it's even rewarded that level of honesty and it's mutual respect when you take ownership for something, a problem, a mistake that you made that nobody even knows about. Okay. And that's how they develop such a, that's one of the ways that they develop such a high level of trust. 
It's this mutual respect. It's the absolute knowledge that if any of them does something that that is compromising the mission and the performance and the safety of the other pilots, they're going to hear about it. They don't have to worry about what is it that I don't know. Think about how much energy is wasted when we try to read between the lines or we try to anticipate what somebody's thinking or we try to understand the real hidden agenda behind a message or a strategic move that a company makes or something my boss is doing. We spend so much negative energy and what we create in our mind is anxiety, stress, and it breaks down trust. When I'm trying to understand something and, and really understand what this person is trying to say that they're not saying, it's a waste of energy and it just degrades trust. That's all that happens. So it, the more open, the more authentic I am, the less people have to worry about there being something that's a hidden message, right? So if I'm a leader of an organization and I'm overly or transparent and overly honest and bring up things maybe that they didn't even realize and they never would have known, that's going to contribute to this unbelievably trusting environment. Here's what happens. When you have that level of trust in an organization, people are willing to follow and blindly in some cases, uh, they're willing to follow because the trust is so high. There's less thinking on their part of, okay, is this really in my best interest or not? People are willing to move faster. They're willing to execute quicker. They're willing to execute precisely exactly what the mission is. They have trust in the vision. They have trust in the leader. They have trust in the cause of what you're doing. That's what happens. And because of that, people move faster. They're willing to come up with ideas. They're willing to contribute to the mission. Their brain is released of anxiety. Think about your brain is this box. It's a container. The more anxiety and crap I have in here that's negative, the less room I have for my brain to think of ideas and have creative uh, juices flowing. I just don't have the capacity in there to have that. It's just weighted down with all this negativity. So the more you can release that from your people and your team and your organization and yourself, the more your brain is gonna be able to operate in a positive way. And that's where the ideas come out. That's where just the performance comes from. The unabashed uh, focus uh, and willingness to move and run fast in that direction and trust each other that we're all doing the same thing. It's not that, hey, okay, I'm going to run, I'm going to do this, but I'm also making sure this person is doing it too. Thinking about you and a friend that are standing on a cliff, you're going to do a cliff jump into the water and it's 30 feet up. That's scary. And you and your friend are saying, okay, on the count of three, we're going to do this. One, two, three. You might be thinking in your head, okay, well, I don't know. Are they really going to jump when I'm jumping or is it just going to be me taking this leap? And are they going to sit back? And, and that's what happens. You're sitting there waiting. Okay, Mel, I, I get it. I'm willing to do it, but I don't know if that person is going to do it. So I'm going to just wait and sit back and make sure they're going to do it. Then I'm going to do it. That's how organizations work. And that's what slows progress down, right? That's what slows progress. When we have to think about it and we just don't trust everybody else, we're watching too hard and too closely and too much and too long what other people are doing. And we're just wasting time and wasting energy. And it just saps our creative abilities and our productivity. That's what happens. And ultimately, there's only so much people can tolerate of that before they say, hey, you know what? This is unhealthy for me. I need to go to a place where I just have the relief of being in a trusting environment. 
Okay, so this is up to you leaders. It's your job. You're the one that needs to solve for those issues. Trust issues come from all different ways and all different types of things and types of people. You've got to fix those problems. Otherwise, it will be a weight that drags on your organization. Okay, and hopefully this is a good example and some specific action steps you can take to do it. One, it comes from transparency and ownership, without a doubt, of issues and problems and whatnot. All right, so take it, run with it, have fun with it. And uh, as always, like, subscribe, share, all that kind of good stuff. Give me feedback, give me ideas. Go down below, give five-star review, and I hope you have a great day. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader for suggestions or inquiries about having me at your next event or personal coaching. Reach me at john at loritogroup.com. Once again, that's J-O-H-N at L-A-U-R-I-T-O-G-R-O-U-P.com. Thanks. Lead on.